Thanks for listening to the Providence Community Church Podcast. We hope you've been inspired today to love Jesus more deeply. For more information and other ways to connect with us, you can visit us on the web at providencecommunity.org. Good morning. Good morning, church. All right, praise the Lord. Amen. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Good morning, everybody. I tell you what, it's exciting always to be in the house of God, be with God's people, feel the energy. It's just wonderful. Uh, you know, I was counted a, a, a pleasure, a, an honor to have the opportunity to share the love of God. You know, I'm also uh, so grateful. I appreciate the humility of the leadership, Pastor Mike, Pastor Nathan, Pastor Keith, Pastor Marcel, that they would uh, willingly share their pulpit. You know, I trust this morning, as the Holy Spirit speaking, I, pr- I trust this morning that the, the Holy Spirit would open the ears of your heart, that you might hear maybe one or two things that God is saying. Uh, I trust that uh, maybe this morning that the Holy Spirit might say one or two things to you that you'd be able to embrace, you'd be able to apply to your life, that the quality of your life would be affected and improved as a result of being here today. That's always my motivation. Every time I have the opportunity to speak, I always say that because that's my motivation. You know, maybe we can't get the whole uh, nine yards, but if we get one thing today that we can apply, that we can embrace, that we can begin to walk in, then it's all worth the time that we've come. And if we build on those each week, we get one thing each week that we come, we can have an incredible shift in our life. Amen? So again, uh, I'm going to share today uh, a passage of Scripture that's familiar to us to some degree. Uh, I, won't, I won't have you turn to uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 18. I'm also going to have you turn to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22. I'm going to take a second, and I'm going to read from those two accounts. And I'm trusting again today uh, that something on the inside of you would come to attention. And that stirring as the Holy Spirit is speaking, that 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 stirring on the inside of you will allow you or cause you to make change where necessary. Again, that's the, you know, uh, the provoking, the truth of God's word should, should stir us and should cause us to at least consider what God is saying. If we, turn, if we have our Bibles and we, we turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 18, like I said, familiar to us, uh, I'll start with verse 15. I believe we might, if we have that, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verse 15, and Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Most scholars, almost all scholars, believe that that disciple was John. You know, John had a hard time putting his name on anything, right? Right? John is the one, uh, you know, the, the one that Jesus loved. Amen? Uh, but you know, when I thought about that, you, you think that's a little bit, it's not, the, not, it's not one of the ones that Jesus loved. He says, the one that Jesus loved. As you think about that a little bit, it's interesting. It's not really how we relate to God. It's really how he relates to us. You know, Keith, the one who Jesus loves. Mike, Holly, Kay. Amen? Amen. So here the Bible says, so in 15, Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known, John was known to the high priest, and he entered right into the courtyard. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke in Peter's behalf. 
The slave girl, therefore, who kept the door said to Peter, you are, uh, you know, as Peter now is come into the courtyard, the slave girl says to uh, Peter, you are not also one of these man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire for it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest there four questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly in, uh, in the synagogues. I've spoken openly in the temple where all the Jews gather. Why do you question me? Question those who've heard and I spoke to, uh, question those who have heard what I've spoke to them. Behold, these know what I said. And when he had said that, one of the officers standing by gave Jesus a blow saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Uh, verse 24, uh, Anastens Jesus to Caiaphas' house. And now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said, therefore, to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter therefore denied it, and again immediately a cock crowed. Now keep your finger there and turn back to, uh, uh, to Luke 22, just for a second. Luke 22 and verse 54, same, same account, this is Luke's account, having arrested him, they led him away, talking about Jesus, and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them also. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later... Another saw him and said, you are one of them, right? He says, man, I am not. And after about an hour passed, another man began to insist, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He goes outside the courtyard and he weeps bitterly. Now John, in the Gospel of John, John says that, that Peter followed, right? Luke takes it to a whole nother level and he says, yes, Peter followed, but he followed at a distance. And this is all happening right after Judas had betrayed Jesus. And this now will begin the process leading up to the crucifixion. John knows the doorkeeper. He's able to go right in with Jesus into the courtyard. Peter's not known by the high priest. He has to stay outside, but John comes to his rescue, speaks in his behalf. And now Peter is in the middle of the courtyard. And the Bible says he's so close to what's going on that Jesus could actually make eye contact with him. While Jesus is standing on trial, the Bible says that Peter is warming himself by a fire. 
Peter's actually standing around a charcoal fire with a group of people who are committed to seeing Jesus crucified. Jesus, the one who passionately loved Peter and rescued him from a life of insignificance. This is what happens often. When you and I, when we lose the most valuable commodity that we have in life, that interior fire for God, amen, we subsequently find ourselves trying to find warmth from a fire we would never stood around had we been mature enough to sustain that interior flame. But when that burning, when that fire for God begins to fade, it's then that we begin to gravitate towards something that we know doesn't have the capacity to keep us warm. But because it makes us feel better, because it makes us feel better, we find ourselves standing around weaker, lesser fires, trying somehow to recover what we forfeited at the loss of allowing our fire for God to be diminished or even to go out. The Bible says, Luke says, that Peter followed at a distance. He was so close, see, he was close enough that he could be called a follower, but not close enough to be indicted over his following. It's a picture of the church in America. It's called postmodern church culture. If you ask us, are we followers? Absolutely. The question is, has our following got us close enough that it indicts us over our involvement? You see, the postmodern church wants to be close enough to be respectable, not close enough to be conspicuous. I heard David Thompson preach this text several years ago and tell this story. And I've told this story more than several times. Uh, it, it's a story that, uh, that kind of, I guess, gripped my heart, reset me. It's a story of a missionary who smuggled Bibles into Eastern Europe during the communist regime. And this missionary gave this pastor uh, the first Bible he had ever held in his hands. The missionary, think about that, the missionary gave this pastor the first Bible he had ever held in his hand. This pastor had been presiding over the underground church. And this missionary comes to Eastern Europe during the communist regime and he gives him a Bible. And when he gave him that Bible, the story goes, that pastor began to weep. He began to weep on the Bible. He clutched it to his chest. He held it close to his face. That pastor had been leading a revolutionary movement in a communist regime with one page of the Bible. That pastor said to the missionary, do you have one of these? He said, oh yes. He said, I have many. That pastor said, I can't wait to sit with you and listen to all the trouble, all the persecution, all that you've suffered. He said, I have one page, and it daily almost cost me my life. If you have many, he said, then you must have some incredible stories about them. 
intervention and miraculous delivering power of God. You see, the Bible was not intended to sit on our coffee table or to be part of our book collection or to serve as some decorative or some Christian decorative arrangement in our home. The Bible is the immutable, unshakable word of God. It's God's word for daily living. It's God's word for all mankind. And the Bible is to be read, believed, and lived. If anyone was asked, Peter, are you a follower? Peter would answer without reservation, yes. But he distanced himself. So when the sparks began to fly, when the heat was on, when confronted, he took the path of least resistance. Think about it. Think about it. Jesus is on trial for his life. The high priest is interrogating him. And he wants to know two things. He wants to know about his disciples, and he wants to know his doctrine. He wants to know what you've been teaching. You got the picture? He's on trial for his life. He's standing before the high priest. I want to know what you've been teaching, and I want to know about those who walk closely with you. Amen? This is what Jesus said. This is John 18, 19 through 22. This is what Jesus said. He said, why do you ask me? Why do you ask me? Ask them who heard me. Ask them who heard me and saw the marvelous work of God. And when he said that, an officer of the high priest took the palm of his hand and struck Jesus in the face. Mm. He says, I want to know two things. I want to know about your disciples, and I want to know what you've been teaching. Jesus said, ask them. And Jesus said that loud enough for Peter to hear it. Amen? Because if Jesus is close enough to hear Peter, then Peter's close enough to hear Jesus. Jesus is standing there on trial after investing the last three and a half years of his life in a group of people who said they would give up everything to follow him. But on this occasion, see, on this, now don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand. Jesus is not asking them to change the course of history. He's asking, can there, is there somebody here today who can testify of who I am? Is he, see, he's not asking you to change the course of history. He just wants, is there somebody here today who can testify of who I really am? Where is the woman with the issue of blood? Because she's pushing, she's crawling, and she's pushing her, and she's risking everything when she needs him. Nowhere to be found when he needs her. 
Where are you, Bartimaeus? So bold to cry cry out over the crowd when you need him. Nowhere to be found when he's asking for someone who will dare to stand and testify of who he really is. Where are those four men who so boldly climbed onto the roof of a man's home and tore a hole in the ceiling and lowered their friend to the feet of Jesus? Anticipating, expecting the healing power of God to touch their friend. So here he is in history's most crucial moment. And again, don't misunderstand. There's no question that Jesus knows who he is. He knows why he came. He knows his purpose. He was just reminded of that, Pastor, just a few, er- few hours earlier. Under all the pressure and all the stress, the Bible says he began to sweat drops of blood. Remember, he said, if, it, if it's possible for this cup to pass, but not my will. Amen. See, he knows his purpose. He knows he was born to die. But here, here, he's asking for somebody who would dare to stand for him when the pressure's on and when there's a cost involved. Where are you, Peter? You were cutting off ears just a moment ago. What if the widow of name would have stepped up, right? What if she would have stepped up holding the hand of her son and said, you know, you have this man on trial. You're calling him a blasphemer. When he came into my life, I was on my way to bury my son. Where are you, Lazarus? What a testimony that would have been, right? What a testimony that would have been. You have him on trial, and you're calling him a blasphemer? How do you explain me? I was in Abraham's bosom. I was dead for four days. Amen? But when I heard his voice, oh, glory to God, when I heard his voice, I jumped back into time. I refilled my body. And I came out of that grave. I walked out of that tomb, still wrapped in grave clothes. Mm. Mm See, we'll cry out when we're in a moment of need. And justifiably so, Jesus wants us to come to him. Jesus wants you to come boldly before the throne of grace. Jesus wants you, all you who are weary, all you who are toiling, all you who are carrying loads too heavy to carry. Jesus says, come to me. You come to me, and I and I alone will give you rest. But think about it. How many times have we stood by and watched Jesus get slapped in the face? You would have thought when that, when that officer of the high priest took his palm and slapped Jesus in the face, you would have thought that Peter would have come out from behind that trash barrel fire and introduced that officer 
to what loyalty really is. Amen? So quick to run to Jesus when we need him. Nowhere to be found when he needs us. So now, in the hour in which we live today, just as it was in ancient Israel, we find people who call themselves believers sitting on the sidelines tending fires that they would have never been interested in previously. Sitting on the sideline when there are things happening almost weekly all around us that we can make a, a major difference in if we just chose to do so. Things happening almost every week. We abort 3,000 babies a day in the United States of America. Slap. Can't pray in school. Slap. Can't read your Bible in school. Slap. Can't pray on a football field. Slap. Celebrate homosexuality. Legalize same-sex marriage. Slap, slap. And every other sexual law that sticks a finger right in the face of God. Amen. You see, I'm talking about those of us who choose to blend in when we're called to be a city set on a hill. <clears throat> you see, if we were the salt, we would be preserving. We would be occupying. We would be the example to follow. It's easy to look at the culture. It's easy to look at a godless society and say, look how they're slapping Jesus in the face. But what trash barrel fire do we find ourselves standing around that, would have never, that we would have never stood around one week after he rescued us from the power of darkness and filled us with his spirit? Amen. I know I'm preaching better than you're shouting. And, and, uh, amen. 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 Truth, truth offends. Amen. Amen. See, the account, this account, those two gospels, this account that leads up to the crucifixion is recorded in, in all four gospels. As we read those accounts and reread them, I'll just speak for me. For me, I really can't wrap my mind around it. I can't. I can't wrap my mind around. See, I would like to think, I would like to think I would have done it differently. I know you'll agree, to, to betray Jesus is unthinkable. I mean, we would have had a hard time if he betrayed John, right? Betrayed his friend, we would say, oh my God, how could that? But to betray Jesus is unthinkable. Peter had three opportunities to get out of the boat, as Pastor Nathan preached last week. He had three opportunities to get in over his head. He had three opportunities to not, not to be a part of a generation that hides. Pastor Nathan made those three points very clear last week. The Bible says when that cock crowed, when that rooster crowed, 
Luke 22, 61 says, when that rooster crowed, the Bible says Jesus turned and looked at Peter. What a scene that must have been. What a scene that must have been. That, cock, that rooster crowed, and Jesus just turned and looked at Peter. Whew. What a scene. And then the Bible says Peter goes outside the courtyard and weeps bitterly. Keep that picture, keep that picture in your mind because Peter had just realized that he had, he had just blown it on a historical level. He doesn't know, see all he knows that he just failed on an unprecedented level. Think about his state of mind. Think about where he is now. He's gone outside the courtyard. And what we're thinking about, keep that picture in your mind. If you have your Bible there, turn to, turn to Genesis 3. Turn to Genesis 3, verses 1 through 10. Genesis 3, 1 through 10. We all there? The Bible says, Now the serpent was more crafty than the beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden. Oh, it is up there. Okay, so it's up there, and that's great. Uh, maybe for the sake of time, I'll paraphrase. You know, you know the scripture. The devil, the serpent, deceives Eve eating to eat fruit from a tree that God told her not to eat from, right? He says, don't eat from this tree because in the day that you eat, you shall what? You shall surely die. Not physically, you will be separated from God. So, he, so the serpent tells her, no, surely you won't die because God knows in the day in which you eat, your eyes will be open and you'll be just like him. So Eve saw that the fruit was good for food and so she eats it. And then she gives it to her husband and then he eats it. In verse seven in the Bible says in, in, in Genesis three, then their eyes, then the eyes of both of them were opened <coughs> and they knew that they were naked They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig trees together and made themselves loin coverings. Now focus here on, on verse 8. Verse 8, the Bible says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. The Bible says that they hid themselves. God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, 
They hear God. You see, sin always produces guilt. Guilt always produces fear. And fear always produces hiding. They're actually hiding themselves behind the trees in the garden. Now turn to John. Go back to the Gospel of John. I think I did tell you to keep your finger in there. But go on back to the Gospel of John, chapters 1, uh, John 20, 1 through 7. And uh, I'll paraphrase again. Familiar scripture to... It's, it's, the, it's the morning of the resurrection. Jesus has been resurrected. Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early in the morning, the Bible says. She gets there, she looks in, and she, and she realizes that Jesus, she sees the stone had been rolled away. She looks in there, and, and, and Jesus is not there. And so what happens is she turns, and she runs back into the village. And she comes to Peter, and she comes to John, and she says, the Lord is not there. I don't know where they've taken his body. And so what happens is Peter and John together begin to run to the tomb. As they're running to the tomb as fast as they can, the Bible tells us that John is faster than Peter, and he gets there before Peter gets there, and he kneels down and he looks in. But he doesn't go in. Peter arrives, and the Bible says he runs into the tomb. He sees the linen wrappings, and he sees the face cloth folded neatly aside from where the grave clothes are. Now, that's significant, and I haven't got time to go down that that road, but that's significant. So Peter again and John, confused, the Bible says, they return to their homes, okay? They return to their homes. Now in John, go to John 21, one page over. Now this is occurring, this is occurring at least nine days after the resurrection. At least nine days. It could be more, but it's at least nine days after the resurrection. And Peter now still probably, again, can you, can you imagine the state of mind Peter's been in? Because you see, he, does no, he knows nothing about the resurrection. They don't know anything that there even is a resurrection. All he knows that he has blown it on a historical level. Okay, so his state of mind is, I don't know what his state of mind is, but I can imagine. So in John 21, six other disciples are with him. He says, I'm going fishing. They say, I'm going to go with you. We're all going to go with you. So they go with Peter. They fish all night, and they catch nothing. They catch nothing. So early the next morning, Jesus is on the shore. They don't recognize him. They don't know that it is Jesus, but he's standing on the shore. And he says, do you have any food? They say, no, we have no food. Jesus says to push the boat out, drop your net on the right side for a catch. They push the boat out. The Bible says about 100 yards. They drop the net, and 153 fish 
jump into the net. Mm. At that moment, as they're trying to draw the net, 153 into the boat, John says, it's the Lord. He said, Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter dives into the water and he now begins to swim as fast as he can swim to get to Jesus. Amen? In Genesis, a man fails and he hides himself from the presence of God. In the Gospel of John, a man fails, he runs into a tomb, and he dives into a sea, trying to get in the presence of the one who the last time their eyes met, it was one of history's greatest failures. What did Peter know about God? that Adam did not know. What did Peter know about God that you and I, in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our failure sometimes forget? Peter had spent the last three and a half years with Jesus and he knew, see he knows, that no way no way possible would Jesus ever reject or cast off any person who came to him. Peter knows if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. Peter runs into a tomb and he dives into a sea looking for Jesus. You know why? Because he wants to re-enlist. He wants to re-enlist. Because he knows the pivotal position between ruin and restoration is repentance. Amen? He knows. He wants to re-enlist. He wants a fresh start. He wants a new beginning. He wants to step into a new season. He wants a fresh start. Amen? I believe there are many here today who not only need but want to re-enlist. You've been sitting on the sidelines. You're not engaged. From this moment, from this morning on, you want to be a man or woman who will always testify of who Jesus is. From this moment on, unashamedly, everybody in your center of influence will know what you stand for. Amen? We'll have another opportunity on that HR5 bill. We blew it just this past week. We'll have another opportunity. The question is, will you engage? From this time on, from this morning on, from this 19th one, you can mark it in your Bible. You can count on me, Jesus. You can count on me, Jesus. If you, finish, if you read down in chapter 21, 
after the disciples had finished the breakfast that Jesus had prepared for them, he takes Peter aside. He says to Peter, do you love me more than these? In other words, do you love me more than these disciples, the others? He says, you know I do, Lord. He asked him three times, didn't he? Kind of those three times when, G when Peter denied him, now he's got three, he got three times to say, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Peter tells him to tend, he tells him to shepherd, he tells him to feed his sheep. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that Peter, God chose Peter to be the inaugural preacher of the gospel in the first 10 years of the book of Acts. If you're here today and you think somehow you've been disqualified, that you've really blown it, nobody's blown it on that historical level. Maybe history's greatest failure. If the prayer team would come forward, I know there are people here today who've prepared themselves to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you never, ever, ever, you never enlisted to begin with. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life. Jesus says, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. If you'll confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, he said, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth man confesses unto salvation. If you want to re-enlist today, I would invite you to get up out of your seat. I know from previous experience, nobody's getting up out of their seat. So uh, I would just encourage you before you leave today to come down and pray with one of these prayer people who prepared themselves to pray with you. If you're making a decision for Christ for the first time, tell somebody, tell somebody here because he says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. If you're re-enlisting, and I believe there's many need to re-enlist. We can't be in the jackbox we're in in the United States of America. We can't be in the state we're in. And we're only here is because we've been sitting on the sideline, allowing the devil do whatever he wants to do. And we say things like, well, you know, God's in control. Well, you know, God was in control during the Holocaust. God was in control during the Inquisitions. God was in control when they flew those planes into, right? God says, I've, I ha I've given you all the power. I've given it to you. So let's rise up as an army for God. Let our presence be known that Jesus is the Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.